What's going on? Welcome to the People's Show on a Friday edition. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Love Friday shows. Love every show, but Fridays. We got Big Six coming up in about 20 minutes. Brett Festerling. Brett Festerling Fridays. We also got guys naming dudes later on the show. Luke Gazdick as well is going to join us uh, here in a handful of minutes. Sportsnet NH, NHL analyst, former NHLer as well. Saw him last night if you were watching the game with David Amber. Plus, if you saw the other game too. Oilers, Sharks, hanging out late. Did you watch the garbage toilet bowl or whatever you want to call it? Uh, I'm Bick. Behind the glass, Elon, you're involved in the show as well. 650-650 into the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dunbar Lumber, three sources serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street, Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center, or Arbutus in Vancouver. Online at DunbarLumber.com. Elon, were you watching the uh, Sharks Oilers game last night? When you said toilet bowl, I didn't know if you meant the football game <laughs> or the Sharks Oilers, but the football game turned out to be a good one, actually. It was, it was close. Was it good? No, Bryce Young. It's tough watching him there with Frank Reich. They don't he looks look old, good. man. He he know Bryce Young. He's uh, he he's either Bryce too young or Bryce super old. It looks it, bad. Yeah, and it was best case for the Bears, right? Because they have Carolina's yeah. pick, which is going to be first overall probably. We were kind of half watching that during the Cox game here. Um, obviously, me and Sat working the post game, uh, and then on my way home, like have an eye on the Oilers game, watching that one, and then uh, going to get home, like walk in, put the Oilers game on right away, and just. Everyone's wishes came true. It was the result you wanted. And I think it's way funnier that San Jose's now got the same amount of points as Edmonton than it would have been had they gotten their first win. Both funny, but just amazing that uh, the Sharks got that result. And I want to start there, actually, uh, on the Oilers and, and framing it with the Canucks as well because here they are, 10 wins now in the season. Unbelievable start. It was December 3rd last year when they got their 10th win, and Canucks – are, are making believers out of a lot of people. And now, you know, the conversation over the course of the next couple of months is going to change is while we're sitting here, is, is this real? Is this not? Regression, progression, all these conversations now. But at some point, it's become it's going to become February, and they're going to be kind of in the playoff mix. And we're going to sit here and like, what should they do? And all the conversations right now in Edmonton are, what do you even do to get this back on track? And I was just wondering, Text in as well, 650-650 as always. You're part of the show. What's more dangerous right now? Pushing the Canucks forward to the next level or trying to get the Oilers back on track from a transaction point of view? And I think you have to view this from outside the silo of just this year because there's things you can do that are low impact that the Canucks could do to try to work around the edge and say, hey, you know what, six-round pick, let's go do this, Uh, a C-plus prospect for a fringe player, let's go do that. And yeah, you can do those things, but to really, to me, the the moves that are instructor for this franchise at some point are getting high caliber players in. That's what you got to do. And there's risk involved in that. How much risk are you willing to absorb? We're talking about first round picks and all that sort of stuff. So you, you can do it in the short term and the Canucks go into the playoffs this year. And maybe in the short term it works, but what's the long-term ramifications of that? There's risk involved in all that. And you go to Edmonton, 
there's risk in getting that back on track. It It's a scary outcome of trying to solve a terrible start to the Oilers' season and trying to risk the future to get this back to end up in a wild card spot. And what does that mean moving forward? But I'm sure there's a lot of people saying, hey, well, the Canucks have had success in the Heronic trade. They can just pull that one off again. Well, they've had a good Branson trade in the past, different regimes and all that sort of stuff. But it, it it's a lot of risk to change, uh, make a big type of move in any team in any circumstance uh we'll pitch it by Lou Gazdick who joins us now from uh, the Sportsnet NHL analyst former NHLer as well Luke how are you good thanks how about yourself doing fantastic uh, I imagine you got to watch both games last night we saw you on the TV as well uh, I'll just start in the show off today talking about uh like what's more dangerous right now trying to get the Oilers from a transactional point of view trying to get the Oilers back on track or trying to make a move where you push the Canucks forward Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I'll say probably the Oilers. Uh, the Canucks can wait on it a little bit. I, mm-hmm. I really like their team right now. I, I've really enjoyed watching and covering the Canucks. I think they have room to make a couple moves that can probably make them better, but I've really liked what I've seen from them so far. They've been a really fun team to cover. You can see you know, the system and the culture that Rick Talkett is implying and getting some really good performances from Petey and Demko and did a piece on JT Miller last night and how outstanding he's been. Um, but I'll say probably, probably the Oilers. On JT Miller, because I, I didn't get a chance to see the feature because we're working here during the game, but I, I could see it on the TV and I was like, oh, I wonder what Luke's talking about. Um, you know, it's so funny that last year it was we were looking at back checks and thinking, oh, like – is this guy putting in the effort and now he's all effort right now in the kitchen for a lot of star level players and, and, and frustrating opponents. It's, it's just odd how quickly he can flip. Is that a system thing? Is that a mentality thing? What stands out to you? What stands out to me is probably the coaching thing and having a nice, good relationship with your head coach. The piece I did was showing how good of a job he did against Connor McDavid on Monday and, and being tasked with, playing 15 of his 22 minutes of ice time against 97 head-to-head and doing a heck of a job at it. Um, You know, you saw him get benched last week after taking three minors, and then you hear that him and Talkett had a little, you know, a little bit of a blow-up, but then both of them kind of apologizing and taking accountability. And then he goes back in the third period and scores a huge goal to put them up 4-1 against Nashville. And I think that shows a lot of maturity in the player. And I think it shows a very healthy relationship between a player and coach. And I think JT is the perfect guy for Rick and vice versa in terms of a guy that can be challenged and then rise, you know, through that adversity and meet that challenge. There's a lot of guys these days especially in the new NHL and towards the end of my career, I saw a lot of it with young players where when they are challenged and they are met, um, you know, with some accountability like that, mm-hmm. they kind of, a lot of guys will cower and JT is just not one of those guys. JT has accepted responsibility and he is doing a really good job at, at flourishing as a, a, two, a two-way player in the NHL. Not even just as a the the mentality to absorb that sort of stuff. Um, he he is a bit of a unique player in the sense that that style of player is just more unique now. It's it, it's it's more scarce because 
you know, 15, 25 years ago, there was a lot of rugged style players, and the game has emphasized more skill and more speed, which is absolutely necessary. The, the, the entertainment has never been better as far as showcasing the skill, but that type of player used to be, you know, two guys on a team, and now it just feels like it's two guys in the division. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. Uh, you know, playing defense is a choice as a forward. To, to be responsible defensively is making a choice and saying that I want to have this as a big part of my game. You know, I didn't make it on air, but one of the comparables that I kind of think back to is he's playing like a Mike Richards in his prime, mm-hmm. a guy that was just the ultimate two-way center and could play against other teams' top lines. And that's such a value to have when you have a guy that you know can go head-to-head with some of the league's top players and shut them down. And not only shut them down, but frustrate them and, you know, make them take penalties and take minors. And, you know, going back to the game Monday, he, I, I just think he did such a good job against Connor. We, we know kind of from watching that Connor is struggling a little bit, but when you have someone in your hip pocket the entire game and not letting you basically get away with anything, I mean, that, that, can, that can frustrate you after, shift after shift. Uh, Luke Gazdick joining us here from uh, Sportsnet and also uh, the Mitts Off Pod. Uh, uh, while we're talking about the Oilers here, um, did they try to change something that just wasn't broken as far as their defensive system? Now, uh, obviously, you try to have natural evolution to who you are, but it feels like they just kind of made wholesale changes when maybe they didn't need to. Yeah, and I, I agree with that uh, somewhat. I think that going with that man-to-man defense last year can be challenging at times. I've played in that system, and it takes a lot of responsibility to essentially cover one man in your D zone. In saying that, these are 20 of the best players in the world. These guys are there for a reason, and it shouldn't take you know, 10, 20 games, including the extra two weeks that they brought them in early Mm -hmm. to instill a defensive change that's just moving from a man-to-man to a zone. Zone is what you learn growing up from basically junior hockey onwards. I would say the majority of my coaches and systems that I played in was a zone defense. And you should be able to almost click that on and off. You could switch from game to game and say, hey, boys, you know, we're going we're gonna to start going man-to-man here. we got to be a little harder. Um, it, it shouldn't be something that is this huge deal that everybody's making because at the end of the day, like I said, these are 20 of the most elite players in the world who can pick things up very easily. Uh, and going back to what I said about defense being a choice, playing a zone is hard, and it's a lot of communication, and it's a lot of work. And that's kind of just what I'm seeing right now is, them just kind of breaking down and simple, simple mistakes defensively. Yeah, so there's the like the strategy point of view, and and, and as you're saying, like, hey, defense is is a choice. It, it does feel like they're having a bit of an identity crisis, and and it looks like you know we we've all had that friend that goes through a bad breakup, and and they have that identity crisis. It's like they lost to Vegas, and I'm sure they took it hard, but there's no real shame in losing to the Cup champs. Obviously, you have your own expectations, but they don't look like they know who they are, even while they're trying to make these strategy changes. Do you see that? Yeah, I would agree with that. I I think that the defensive part of their game is under a microscope right now because their offense is so poor. And when would we have ever thought that, that Mm -hmm. going into the season, that offense was going to be a problem for the Edmonton Oilers? I look back at last year and remember them going down two, three goals in a game, and you didn't even have to think twice because they could make that comeback in an instant. 
And now you're seeing them go down in games and it's like, oh man, I don't know if they're going to be able to surmount this deficit, uh, which is the most concerning thing. And I think that's why we're looking at their defensive game so much, uh, just because the offense hasn't been there. And that is the most surprising thing to me out of their team is that they're having a hard time scoring goals. And it, it's worse, too, because the Pacific has been so good. Like, the third Pacific team, the LA Kings, have 19 points. That would lead the Central right now. And we came into the season thinking, okay, the Pacific's going to be good, and the Oilers and the Flames we haven't really held up their end of the bargain. What do you see in the Pacific? It feels like it's already going to be Vegas, Vancouver, LA, and whatever order, most likely that order. But, um, like, what are you seeing as far as how the, the style of the Pacific is kind of emerging this season? Well, hey, L.A. has 15 guys with two or more goals. So talk about depth and talk about a coach in Todd McClellan who can essentially go into autopilot and roll his four (laughs) lines over. And that's what I'm seeing is this model of consistency coming back with Vegas leading the way and L.A. right behind them in the chariot in in the term in sense of you can roll four lines and not only can they play and defend, but they're going to contribute offensively. Um, and then you got three pairs of D that are big and strong and tough. I think that is probably the one area I see Vancouver lacking behind where they fall off a little bit in their depth. And that's why I think, you know, a couple moves could really put them up there in contention. But I think what we're seeing out of the two big boys in LA and Vegas is a cohesive 18 player, two goalie tandem unit that can play against anybody in the league. And uh, it's, it's pretty fun to watch. I don't know how many, I know you guys are on the West coast, but mm-hmm. that, that game the other night, LA Vegas, that was a playoff type style game. Um, and, and uh, they're going to be a force to reckon with both of those teams. You played under McClellan uh, your last year in Edmonton, right? I did. Yes. So did you just kind of like landscaping here, the Pacific, it, it feels like there's some heavyweights as far as coaching goes as well. Cause McClellan's had this long history of success. Uh, you know, it hasn't culminated in, in a final or anything like that, but it's very established. Bruce Cassidy goes ahead and gets that ring. And, and now suddenly like Rick talk, it feels like he's getting all the love right now of someone who's just plays like a, a very uh, identifiable style of game that people really uh, attach themselves to. And, and you start looking at the, the differences or the similarities between the three teams what stands out between those three guys for you? Well, I know from playing for Todd that, and I, and I can probably speak for Bruce and Rick as well, is they demand a lot from your players. Uh, I know that going to the rink with Todd every day was a challenge in terms of he was going to challenge you. Practices were hard. Video sessions were brutally honest. <laughs> Not afraid to call guys out. Um, that he wanted to be better or identify mistakes and, you know, change those mistakes and stopping practices and making sure things were done the right way. You hear those coaches, you'll hear them say a lot, play the right way and be hard to play against. And that starts defensively, but that's holding your players accountable and Frick Hockett's leading the way in that. And it's in the sense of not only calling guys out in the media, which a, I'll say I don't love, but um, holding your own players accountable and setting a certain standard and wanting your team to meet that every single day, whether it's practice or game. Uh, he's Luke Gadzik. Uh, you see him on TV. Uh, I imagine, uh, Luke, you're busy today as well, so uh, we'll let you go, and uh, uh, best of luck here, and we'll chat soon. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys.
uh, Luke Gadzik joining us, Sportsnet NHL analyst, former NHLer, also on the Mitts Off podcast as well. Uh, some thoughts coming in here, 650, 650. Uh, Lotso, okay, uh, what's the tipping point for the Oilers? Do they realize, or when do they realize it's unsalvageable? Six more losses out of 10. If they want eight out of 10, they're back in it. Uh, they just look discouraged. And look, that's a huge thing right now, too, with the Oilers is – they look lost. They, they, they honestly look like last year's Canucks. And there's not really um, uh, an immediate path back. And our, the, the Canucks last year waited, waited, waited. And there was calls constantly. You know, in, in November, change the coach. December, change the coach. January, change the coach. There's the Bruce There It Is chance. The loving happened. And it was unceremoniously let go in, in uh, not exactly a professional manner, but. Wins change the narrative for the Vancouver Canucks. Rick Talk comes in, has some success at the back end of the year. They have the nice best, ninth best points percentage the rest of the way. Coming to this year, obviously, you're seeing what it looks like right now with Vancouver. What's going to happen? Uh, no news in Edmonton today, so it certainly looks like Jay Woodcroft's going to get his chance to to try to push this forward. Uh, here's another text, 650-650. Nobody's going to talk about this, but the truth is Oilers are overconfident, overhyped, arrogant group. This is their humbling season uh, for a group who thinks they could walk over the league this season. It's a tough spot, and, and, and that's why I asked. Like, there's going to be all these things. You know, I know Elliot Friedman today on the 32 Thoughts podcast talking about that they he thought there would be a move on Wednesday. It never came about. But they, they feel like they're going to have to do something urgent at some point and make a decision and try to make a move. And, the, you know, there's a lot of hype here in this market. So so what's the danger right now? Who Who's facing more danger? Is, is the Canucks doing something reckless and, and trying to do something ambitious, I would say, that would make a lot of people a little concerned? It's like, oh, you're moving a first-round pick to, to get the next superstar you probably need, the next solid player you need in this lineup. And it was a great point by Luke, like the, the depth – of the LA Kings and the the Vegas Golden Knights will show out over the course of 82 games. Right now, the Canucks are extremely healthy. Haven't had to deal with a whole lot. One injury to the the right or wrong person, depending who we're talking about in the lineup, it, it can have a huge impact on the Canucks season. But the the Kings look solid. Three four lines. Vegas. Stanley Cup champions look solid, three, four lines. And that game uh, the other day between those two teams was uh, big boy hockey, to say the least. And what does it look like come February? Attrition starts hitting. Just general wear and tear. Do the Canucks slip up a little bit? That, that to me, is a bigger concern is injuries and just natural endurance uh, slowing down a little bit because they got to play with a lot of effort and give them credit. Uh, Twelve games they played with effort. Just the one Philly game. But if that sort of stuff slips, I, I'm more worried about that than I am in, in, in any of the underlying numbers that we talk about. That's been talked about quite a great deal. Uh, if the effort starts to slip for the Canucks, and, and they got to maintain it. They got to maintain it. Uh, but right now, it is going so well. 16 points up on the Oilers. Uh, certainly looks like they're well on their way uh, to the playoffs as well. But who's in more danger right now? Uh, transactionally. Canucks or the Oilers. Keep coming in with your thoughts. 650-650. We'll, we'll chat with Brett Fesseling in uh, about 10 minutes here. But on Fridays, we do it. It's Big Six. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Take it to the house. It's Big Six. Much better week last week, 4-2. and two. Uh, We marched towards 24-28-2 uh, on the year. 
Week 10. Let's start with the Steelers minus three versus the Packers. Minka Fitzpatrick, he's out. That does hurt. But uh, this Packers defense, uh, they're not good. They're just not good. So long as Kenny Pickett doesn't turn it over, I think the Steelers push them around. They're more physical. Packers always shy away from contact. Uh, Jordan Love hasn't taken the step I was hoping for. And, you know, three points, does it suggest these two teams are equal? I don't think so. Should be a hair for me uh, above for the Steelers. They're just better situationally. They get the 10 days rest here in this spot as well. I'm laying the points. Steelers win 21 13 Texans plus six and a half at the Bengals. It's buying high on the Texans, right? They just came off that historic game by CJ Stroud, but the Bengals also hot right now. And it's a sandwich spot for Cincinnati. They've won five of six. They beat the bills. They beat the 49ers. They beat the Seahawks. Now they're getting ready for two divisional games. It's just hard to sustain that high level of play for this long midseason. And they're dealing with the host of injuries at wide receiver. Texans also dealing with their host of injuries as well. I still think the Bengals win this one, but it'll be sloppy. I'm going to take the points here. Bengals win. Texans cover 21-17. Vikings plus three versus the Saints. Derek Carr as a road favorite. I'll pass in this spot. It's as simple as that. Give credit to the Vikings. They're making the season work. Even with the Kirk injury, even with the Justin Jefferson injury, he's questionable, not expecting him to play. But they've had a good comeback this season. And the defense is rounding into shape in the last month. It takes a bit of time to acclimate to a Brian Flores world defensively. Uh, they're making it work here recently. I know a lot of points against Atlanta, but nevertheless, they're making it work. I'm going to take the points in this spot. Vikings win 23-20. It's road favorites time. I usually hate taking road favorites, but we're doing it here. 49ers minus three at the Jaguars. I know earlier this week on Guess the Lines, I kind of felt I was leaning towards the Jaguars. I flip-flopped situationally. It's just a bad spot, I think, for the Jaguars. It's three losses in a row going into a bye for the 49ers. They haven't won in over a month. So you'll know you'll get a max effort game with an elite defense. And it's the exact opposite for the Jaguars. Five wins in a row going into a bye. You don't want to stop playing when you're winning. Trent Williams is questionable. You can just picture the burly left tackle toughing it out. He's playing. He changes the offense for the 49ers. I'm going to lay the points here on the road. 49ers win 21 13. Another road favorite, Lions minus three at the Chargers. I'm back in the offensive line here on the road. Uh, be curious to see how the Lions fans travel for this game. L.A. not known for a home field advantage at all. But the key for me is will the Chargers put enough pressure on Jared Goff? If they don't, this Lions team will shred them defensively. Lions making a ton of improvements uh, so far this year. And situational football, I think both teams, their coaches, make good decisions, optimal decisions. It's just the Brandon Staley ones never seem to work out, and the Dan Campbell ones seem to do. I'll continue to back that with Dan Campbell. I'm laying the points here. Lions win 27-21. And finally, Falcons minus one and a half at the Cardinals. Congratulations to Kyler Murray. Just exceptional comeback from an injury. But some rust is to be expected. Is he going to run around as much? That's his biggest value. If you're protecting that knee and you don't want to run around as much, you're not as effective to how your team can impact winning the game. So Falcons, a short number here against, for me, the worst team talent-wise in the league. Falcons going to be able to run the ball. That sets up everything for them offensively. 
they can take care of the ball that way too. I'm going to lay the points here. Falcons win 24-10. So that's Steelers minus three, Texans plus six and a half, Vikings minus three, 49ers minus three, Lions minus three, and Falcons minus one and a half. Road favorites, always a danger to take some road favorites, but we're living dangerously here on the People Show. On the other side, BFF, Brett Fessling Fridays. Uh, we'll get into the Canucks five-game winning streak, uh, focusing on some of the details, including uh, everyone's favorite player, Phil Details, Giuseppe. PDG. We'll get into some of that uh, with Brett Fessling. Minutes away here on The People Show.